Hey, I'm in a, a series of messages pursuing this idea of I identify as, and uh, what I'm wanting us to do is to be able to see how God identifies us and the kind of identity he wants us to have on the inside. This past week, I have read an article about uh, the winning contestants for The Biggest Loser. I don't know if you ever watched that show in the past, but there were 17 seasons of The Biggest Loser. And, uh, you know, the people who won, it was, you know, just incredible how much weight they lost during this, uh, during the show. And it was all played up dramatically for sure because nobody could work out eight hours a day for the rest of their life. Come on, somebody. And, uh, but it was, it was interesting to me to read this article of, of all this, the top uh, winners, biggest loser for uh, 17 years and, and all the weight they lost, but the vast majority of them, after a short amount of time of finishing the show, ended up gaining back all the weight they lost and some of them even more. And really only one or two actually stayed kind of in that zone of where they'd been led to. And one of the observations of the article was that it had a lot to do with their identity, like who they really thought they were. And I just, there was an artificial kind of, you know, push on them with, uh, with a diet program, with an exercise program that was totally unsustainable in every way. But the real issue was what was going on on the inside of them. And uh, I am sure that ultimately the way you end up seeing yourself, your life will end up moving to that sea level. And that's why I am after this idea of helping us see ourselves the way God sees us. And that there is like the lights come on, a revelation happens that we start to see ourselves as God sees us. So today I want to talk about this idea of I identify as loved. Somebody say loved. Loved. So I'm going to start out with probably the most common well-known verse in the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The picture and the perspective that a lot of people carry about God is He's just a little or a lot ticked off. And he's not really very happy with you or really with anybody or with anything that's going on. And I think it's true that there are a lot of things going on in this world and a lot of things that people are doing that are definitely not in God's eyes the best for what they could be doing. But I think we have to always come back to this idea that God's reason for sending Jesus into this world is because God so loved this world. 
And the reason that God wants to come into your world is because God loves you, like you right now, not the new improved version of you, like you, who you are, God loves you. And out of his love, he wants to give us eternal life, which is not just the length of life, but it's the quality of life. He wants to give you an amazing and abundant life. The Bible is super clear. God is love. God loves this world. God loves people. He loves you and he loves every person you don't agree with. Come on. Amen. Hey, he loves all the Democrats. Somebody say amen. He loves all the Republicans. Come on. He loves you. He loves you no matter what's going on. And what I think is so important is to recognize that God is certainly the creator of everything. He is the sustainer of everything. He is the boss. He is the ruler of everything. But the, the first thing about him is our God is a loving God. He loves the world, even Asheville. I remember well, we, had, we had some T-shirts for a while that said, God loves Asheville. And one of our guys was walking downtown and somebody said, is that really true? God loves the world. God loves the church. I say God loves the church as, as imperfect as it is, right? How many of you know church is not perfect, right? If it were perfect, you need to stay away because it would become imperfect, right? God, God loves sinners. I know that's not even a, a word we use very much anymore, but Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to I look at a couple of passages and so rich in language and description of God and his perspective on us. And then I want to get real practical about what the love of God and being loved by God and living loved by God does for us. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, but God, everybody say, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love some of these phrases because it helps us really get what God is all about because God is, he's not just like barely merciful or kind of okay with us. Uh, the Bible says the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us. He's rich in mercy. 
He's great in love. His, the riches of his grace are surpassing. He is kind toward all of us. And this is the Bible's description of God's disposition toward you and me. His main disposition toward us is kindness. I like kind friends. I avoid unkind. The sovereign God who could choose any disposition he wanted to, he could be angry with us, he could be ticked off with us, he could be indifferent toward us, he could be aloof from us, but he's chosen grace. He's chosen to love us. He's chosen mercy. Come on, anybody ready for a little shower of that? Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Hey, aren't you glad God has a big butt? Right? Genesis 50 verse 20 Joseph is reaching the end of many years of being abused and mistreated by his family and says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God. Somebody say, but God. But God meant it for good. Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh, my heart may fail. In other words, I might have all kinds of junk going on in the inside of me, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love this from Acts chapter two. It says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, you put him to death, but God raised him up again. Come on. And I don't, know, I don't know what's going on in your world, but I would bet there's at least one area, at least one, where things aren't exactly going the direction you would like for them to be going. It might be in your emotions, it might be in your family life, it might be in your relationships, it might be in your work, it might be with your money, it might be any number of areas, but I just want to tell you today, God's but is bigger than whatever you're going through. But God is bigger. Come on. God, the, these, these verses tell us God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. Mercy is when judgment that was due to us is withheld. Grace is when blessing is given that we don't deserve. Mercy puts us in a place where we are freed from judgment from God, but grace puts us in a whole positive zone. His great love for us. He is not, I'm just here to say, he is not mad at you today. He, he loves you. And I know it can sound uh, cliche, to say God loves you. But if I've prayed today that our hearts would awaken 
to really understand how powerful that it is. If God would show that kind of love toward us while we're dead in sin, how much more toward us who are at least giving it a go, who are at least trying to please him at some level. If he could love us while we're total rebels, how much more is his love toward us who are at least wanting to try to please him? 1 John 4 verse 7 uh, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is born from God. Love, love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Because God is love, and, and I hope we all understand Love might have feelings. It does have feelings, but love is not a feeling. Love, love is a choice. Because God is love, God has put love into all the equations of life. In other words, if it doesn't, it's not so much how clever you are, how talented you are, how much money you have, none of that stuff is really gonna make you have a great marriage or a great family. But if you, if, if, if we want, if you love it, it'll get better. If you love your spouse, things will get better. Everybody in the first service shouted and clapped over that and just acted like they loved their spouse. Actually, that's a lie. I just want to make sure I'm being honest. <laughs> There's no shouting in first service. Uh, they all have their mask on. Sorry. Sorry. If you love, if you love your kids, it'll be better. If you love your work, it'll get better. If you love your church, it'll get better. If you love your city, it'll get better. Love is the fabric that God weaves everything together with. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt you to be clever or talented or whatever, but I'm just saying when we love best, we live best. We are never more in sync with God than when we're walking in love. At the core of his being, God is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. And I think we always say, even though it's, it's possibly to you a simple idea, I'm just gonna draw you back to it over and over again. To, to recognize that the fact that God loves you, that God loves us, that God loves this world is the first button on the shirt. If I mess up on that button, then we end up with all these weird variations of Christianity. All these weird ideas about life and how relationship and how life works God is rich 
in mercy. God is great in love. Anybody glad about that? All right, now this is what I really want to teach on. That was set up. 1 John 4, verse 16, we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Let me give you a couple of ideas out of this. Number one, every good thing flows out of God's love for us. Anything good that's going to happen in life is going to flow out of the fact that God loves us. Now, I like this verse, uh, 16. It says, we've come to know and have believed uh, the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. The idea behind the original language, the Greek for we've come to know, is we've come to experience God's love for us. In other words, it's not just a mental assent. It's not just, oh, that's, a, that's an okay idea. That's a good idea. We've actually come to experience the love that God has for us. You know, when you meet somebody and you fall in love, how many of you know that's an experience? And that experience usually has an impact on the rest of our life. The reason all of this thing can work at all is because God loves us. In other words, it's his love for us that's the prime initiator of all good things in life. It's not dependent on my performance. I said it's not dependent on my performance It is dependent. The reason I can be forgiven is because God loves me. The reason you can be blessed, the reason you can walk in favor, the reason you can walk in victory, the reason you can live an abundant life, have favor on your life, the, the reason we can even have an opportunity to have a walk with God at all is because he has chosen to love us. I would love for some kind of uh, revelation switch to come on where we would all get this idea, life is rigged in my favor because the God who's over everything loves me. If, if he decided this was going to work any other way, that's just the way it would have to be. But this is his description. The whole setup 
is predicated on this idea, God has chosen to love you. Since he has, enjoy it. Second idea I want to talk about is this. Knowing you are loved breeds confidence. Knowing you are loved breeds confidence. 1 John 4, 17, by this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. When you know you are loved, it breeds confidence in your life. When I walk into a room that I am in question as to whether whoever's in that room loves me, it steps me back a little bit. I become more self-conscious, more aware of things that probably should not even be aware of. But when I walk into a room where I know I am loved in, by everybody in that room, I can walk in confidence. And here's what this passage says. It says, we could be confident in the face of the judgment of God. Now, don't get me wrong in talking about how God loves us and the fact that there will also be a day when every one of us will face the judgment of God for our life. What we chose to do, what we chose to follow, how we chose to act in life, whether we really believed in Jesus or not. And the Bible says on that day of judgment, if you are not on the right side of a relationship with Jesus, you're gonna pray that the mountains would fall on you. In other words, there are people that can mouth off about God and make fun or whatever, but at the end of the day, there's nobody gonna be mouthing off in that day because that day is, is a fierce day to face the judgment of God. But no, if, so if I could be freed from the fear of judgment in that day, then surely I can live in confidence in this day. And if we think that God is looking at us with a judgment eye, have you ever been around somebody, they're just looking at you to make a mistake? Say something wrong, do something wrong. Twitch your eye wrong, blow your nose wrong. If, 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 God, if we think God looks at us with a judgment eye, we become afraid to do anything because we're afraid I'm not gonna be able to do it perfect. But if I know that God looks at me with a, a loving eye, it releases me to a whole level of confidence in life. If I, feel, if, if I feel like I have to earn your love, I can't rest in our relationship, right? I have no confidence. Confidence is a powerful force. Confidence is born out of being loved. I've been uh, sucking on a few Hall's cough drops past couple days. I never knew this was on a Hall's cough, cough drop. You can do it and you know it. Dust off and get out. Oh, get up. 
The show must go on. Go work. Nothing you can't handle. Tough is your middle name. That's cough, that's cough drop confidence. There's a different kind of confidence. It's not arrogance, it's confidence. Hebrews 10, verse 35 says, therefore don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Hebrews 4 says, let's draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 says, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. The opposite of confidence would be insecurity. Insecurity is a trap. It, it disguises itself as religious humility, but in fact, it takes away from God's purpose being realized in your life. Confidence built on being loved is different than confidence built on performance. And what this, these verses are telling us that you can have a confident prayer life. You can worship with confidence. You can be confident in your ministry, confident in your decisions, it's so powerful. Insecurity is what, remember when the 12 spies went in to spy out the promised land? Insecurity kept the 10 guys going, we don't have confidence we can do this. And that confidence, that insecurity didn't just keep them out of the promised land. It kept the whole nation of Israel out of the promised land for 40 years. Getting rid of insecurity, buying into the confidence that comes from I am loved by God. When you realize, so I think some of us have this secret fear. If people really knew me, I don't know if they'd like me. But I'm just here to remind you, the one who knows you the best loves you the most, right? And for a lot of people, the enemy keeps them trapped in isolation with the fear they won't be liked, they won't be loved. I stand up here on a weekly basis and urge people, you got to get connected to the right people. You, you've got to get around. I've not seen nothing make more difference in all my years of ministry than who you hang around with is gonna determine whether you go to faith or doubt, positive or negative, whether you go on with God or whether you get sucked away. There, there's, there's, you gotta have this sense of security that I don't know if everybody's gonna like me 
but that's all right because I know who loves me. Every once in a while, I feel like I want to put people in my shoes. Because when you're the pastor, when you're the leader, you got 1,500 expectations of what you should be wearing, where you should be living, what kind of car, how you should pastor, what you should be saying, what you should not be saying. I don't want to keep going because it's hurting my feelings to talk about it. Thank you. And I'm glad. (laughs) But let me just say this. It's being loved by God that has helped Suzette and I last for 32 years. Let me say something else before you clap too much on that one. Insecurity is going to have a big impact on your relationships in the future. Because here's what I've seen. If somebody will buy in to developing a good, solid relationship loved by God, and they bring that into a marriage, when you get two people who are confident in the love of God together, something powerful takes place. But when you get two people who are insecure together, there's a lot of counseling sessions about ready to happen. I know, don't shout me down just because I'm telling the truth. There's confidence in knowing you're loved by God. When, when you don't have that, when you've got that insecurity, you start to question yourself, you start to question your value, you start to question your worth, you start asking questions like, what is wrong with me? Then you get all self-conscious, then you get weird. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's you, but just playing with you, please. I think, I think one of the most incredible truths that could ever torch a fire in our heart is to know that my God has set his love on me. You you can break the power of loneliness. You can break the power of rejection. Come on, because the truth is nobody else can fill that spot anyway. Right? Here's my third idea. Love is, I was gonna say vaccination, but antidote actually works. Love, sorry. Love is the antidote for fear. I don't know that I've ever seen the spirit of fear more at work in our world than it is right now. Fear is causing people to lock down, to shut themselves off, to, to 
just close up and close in. 1 John 4, verse 18 says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. I think this is a big deal to know that love overcomes fear. Fear locks you up because as soon as you're afraid of failure, you're locked up. As soon as you're afraid of what people will think, you're locked up. As soon as you're afraid of commitment, you're locked up. When you're afraid to try something new, it's gonna lock you up. And I, I, this is very compelling to me that fear involves punishment. I'm always careful because I know that grace is a revelation. And it's not about saying, just go do whatever you want to do, that's fine. That's not true. Because you can do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to escape the consequences of what you do. But to live under this cloud of punishment is never gonna set you free to what God has for you. We're free. When you accept Jesus in that moment, we are freed from punishment. We are freed from judgment. One last idea, then we're gonna pray together. Number four, loved people love people. Right? First John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. The, the love you receive from God is the love you give to people. You know, we've all heard this, but it's true. Hurt people hurt people. If I, if I approach my relationship with God as I'm under the law, then I wanna make sure everybody else is under the law. If I'm living under judgment, I wanna put everybody else under judgment. But here's what I've discovered. If I will live under grace and give everybody else some grace, God can do something great in their life. If I, if, I, if I live under love and love people and minister love to people, God can do something great in their life, right? The beauty of all this is it's not just I am loved. The fact that I am loved enables me to be a lover of others, to be a channel for the river of God's love. Because, I mean, here's the unalterable law of life. The way you sow is the way you reap. Right? And, and I know sometimes there are people, there are situations, there are 
circumstances where it seems hard to love. This is why you gotta get your love from God to have love to give away. I know this is, grace is outlandish to me, but here's what I know. From the worst of us to the best of us, God's disposition is, I love you. I'm for you. Has nothing to do with how good you are has everything to do with how good God is. Somebody say amen. Hey, I wanna pray with you guys. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Father, I'm praying for every person that's in this room, watching online, hearing this message through the week. Oh, let it land in the right places, in the right hearts, in the right minds. Awaken our soul to recognize the incredible value of being loved by God, of life being literally rigged in our favor because of your great love for us. Father, I'm praying all kinds of lights are coming on in Jesus' name. Your head still bowed, please, just for a moment, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not ever actually surrendered to the love of Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus, and I would love to pray with you for that journey to begin. Maybe you're here and you used to be close to God, but you know you're not where you were, where you want to be, where you could be, where you should be, and this is a great day for you to come back home. Or maybe you just don't have that sense of confidence. My life is in the hands of God and you want that, you need that. If any of that speaks to your heart and you just say, Pastor, would you pray with me? And more important than me praying for you, would you signal to heaven, just lift your hand and say, that's me. I want Jesus, I wanna come back to Jesus. I wanna make sure I'm right with Jesus. Come on, hands all over the room. Right where I'm not even asking you to get your act together. I'm just saying, would you surrender, God bless you, all over the room, would you just surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, to the love of Jesus, to the grace of God, and watch what God would do for you. You can put your hands down now, thanks. Anybody else, just say, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Please pray with me. Thank you, guys. Hey, let's pray together. This is for everybody that lifted their hand, but could we all say these words? Together, it's a good prayer to pray. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love and to your Lordship. I need you, I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned, I know I've messed up a lot, but I come to the cross where you paid the price for my sin and give forgiveness. Thank you, a fresh start and a new beginning. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.